Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View, uh, a big, big podcast for me. Um, the Nets got swept by the Boston Celtics, so I have a couple things to go over with that series, of course. Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Steve Nash, the future of that team. Boston Celtics, um, I'm a big man. Takes a lot for a big man to admit when he was wrong. And I need to issue my public apology to Jason Tatum, who has been nothing short of spectacular, even though he fouled out last game on a very Scott Foster called a horrific foul. Like for his final foul, it was so soft. It was like on an inbound play. Jason Tatum was trying to box out. Like it was stupid. That's besides the point. Um, Tatum was spectacular this series. Defensively, offensively, everything in between, like the guy was just amazing. The Celtics very clearly were the better constructed team coming into this series. Did I think that you were going to get a sweep? No. I mean, usually, even if a team is severely outmatched, uh, if you have a star player, on the other team, you're good for at least one win, you know? Uh, didn't matter. Boston whooped the Nets in this series. Like, they were pretty much in control of every single game from tip-off to the end. Um, the Nets made a couple runs, but in the end, it just there wasn't enough. So, we got to talk about that series. That's probably the headliner here. Then, the Jazz and the Mavericks. That's a series of great interest to me. Uh, The Mavericks are currently up three to two. I'm not wrong about one of these takes, okay? I have a couple takes. One aged really poorly. The other one is aging like fine wine, all right? The Sixers could be in a little bit of trouble. And all these other playoff series, Suns, Pelicans, is Phoenix really in danger of losing in the first round without Devin Booker? Uh, and, and a lot of other basketball things to get to. And we'll talk a little bit of baseball at the end of the podcast. The Yankees having a great series against the Guardians this past weekend, and now they start a three-game set against the Orioles. So, I'm recording this. If you haven't caught on by now, I record on Tuesdays. Podcast, podcast comes out Wednesday morning. So, by the time you're listening to this, some of my takes or some of my things, especially with like the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves and all that, um, games that are being played tonight on Tuesday, which include the Hawks, Heat, Timberwolves, Grizzlies, and Pelicans, Suns. The podcast might sound a little bit different when it comes out on Wednesday because I'm recording this before the games start on Tuesday. Anyway, now that that disclaimer is out of the way, we'll start with the games last night. Let's work our way backwards. So the last game of last night was the Jazz and Mavericks. The Mavericks blew out the Jazz. Uh, it, it was like by the time uh, the, the fourth quarter came around, it, it wasn't even close. They outscored them by 10 in the second and the third quarter. So just a horrific night for Utah. Donovan Mitchell leaves with a injury um, to his leg. I think it was a hamstring. He should be getting an MRI, uh, but I think regardless of his health status, this series is a wrap. 
Uh, there's no, I just don't think there's any way that Utah pulls off a game six win to force a game seven. Uh, these, these games were highly competitive in the first four games of the series, right? 99-93 uh, in the favor of the Jazz, 110-104 Mavericks, 126-118 Mavericks, 199 Mavericks. And the first three games were very close, and that was without Luka Doncic. And then you have game four, and by some stretch, uh, probably because of home court advantage, get a little bit more of a slight edge. It does matter in the playoffs. The Jazz are able to pull out a one-point victory that ended on a Donovan Mitchell alley-oop to Rudy Gobert. And that put them over the top. They win 100-99. to That's Luka's first game in this series is, is game four. So, and you can, I would normally point to it and be like, well, it's Luka's first game back. He's coming off his injury. Maybe that's why. Like, not really. He played 34 minutes. He scored 30 points on 11 of 21 shooting, 4-10 from three. So it wasn't because of Luka they lost. It, it, just, it just happened, right? Mavericks lose, um, and that happens. Game five, Luka's in prime form. Uh, again, they outscored in the second quarter, they outscored the Jets 28-18, to and in the third, 29-19, to and that's the game right there. Luka scores 33 on 11 of 22 shooting. Um, He's a beast, right? My main point is that these these games were very close and very competitive without Luka Doncic, and now you throw in a top five player in the league onto the Mavericks. There's just no hope for Utah. Like it's just it's not going to happen. Um, it, it, it's pretty much a wrap here. Now Thursday night. They play again, and, and they're in Utah. So you have a little bit of an advantage here, obviously, because you're back on home court, and then Game 7 would be back in Dallas. But I just, I just don't think there's any way that the Jazz can pull this off. If Donovan Mitchell is out, you might as well not even show up to the stadium. For real. Uh, if he's out, and I, I get heavy Donovan Mitchell slander. Like, I slander him all the time. Uh, I respect him because he's a Mets fan and he supports baseball and like that's very cool. But uh, he he has not been good this series. Uh, I I don't care what you throw at me. Like okay, he's you know he scored thirty point plus points, whatever. Like he scored thirty two points on twenty nine shots in game one, ten to twenty nine from the field. In game two. Scores 34 on 13 of 30 shooting, 3 of 10 from 3, a little bit better efficiency-wise. Game 3, 32 on 10 of 21 shooting, 1 of 8 from 3. You see where I'm getting at here. Game 4, 7 of 21 shooting, 2 of 10 from 3. And then last night, of course, he gets hurt, but he wasn't shooting well. Nine points on 0-7 from three, four fifteen from the field. You see my slander with Donovan Mitchell. My my angle with him is that he is a guy. He doesn't play great defense. He's not a high assist guy, and he is a high volume shooter who is wildly inconsistent in terms of his efficiency. He's a flamethrower, right? When he gets hot, he's hot. 
And that's great for the Jazz when that happens. Uh, but when it doesn't happen, their offense is pretty much non-existent. When he is inconsistent and he's shooting 7 to 20, he's shooting, you know, 11 for 32 from the field. Like, that is not efficient basketball. He doesn't shoot a whole lot of free throws, which is is something else that is a huge problem. If he was shooting less and getting to the line, if he was shooting 7 of 20, but he got to the line 13, 14, 15 times, that's, that's fine. Because you're getting points, you're not running the clock, like, that's okay. But he, he doesn't get to the free throw line nearly enough to justify, like, this amount of shots, right? Game one, he was, he got to the free throw line a lot, 10 for 11. Then he was 5 of 5. Then he was 11 of 12. Then 7 of 9. And then 1 of 1. But it's just, you're also, on top of all that, you're putting up, 21 shots, 29 shots, 21 shots, 30 shots. It, it's, it's crazy. Like, he just, he just shoots the ball too much. He just shoots the ball entirely too much. And it's not like the Jazz are lacking in perimeter offense. Right? Like, they have Jordan Clarkson. Bogdanovich is a great shooter. He's scored 20-plus points in multiple games this series already. Uh, They don't have a lack of offensive capabilities. Mike Connolly has been awful. He's been been flat-out awful this series. 13 points, 0 points, 21 points, 6 points, 4 points. Um, So, Game 3 is actually the best game they had, and they, they lost. So... He's not, he's not playing well. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is good, but he's like pretty much another version of Donovan Mitchell that just comes off the bench. And I like Jordan Clarkson, but the thing is, I don't, I don't know what to make of the Jazz, man. They just clearly, I think it's safe to say, because I, I have slandered the Jazz on this podcast multiple times before, it's pretty clear and safe to say that this current iteration of the Jazz is not going to win anything. I think that was clear two, three years ago. I don't care how many one seeds they had, what their record was in the regular season. This Jazz team, like, this is just what they are. They were never going to be able to win a championship as currently constructed. It's just not going to happen. And now on top of that, you got to pay, like, Rudy Gobert $40 million a year, I think, starting next year, something crazy like that. Because you gave him the Supermax for God knows what reason. And you also have to pay Donovan Mitchell $30 plus million a year. I don't know how in the world the, uh, Rudy Gobert, whoever his agent is, bravo to you. But you somehow secured more money per year than Donovan Mitchell. That blows my mind. Because I still think Donovan Mitchell is a much better player than Rudy Gobert. Uh, but the team, it's just not going to work the way it is. Um, I think... Mitchell should probably somehow, if he can get his way out of Utah, he should do that. Um, Utah fans are not particularly nice, so force, uh, forcing your way out, that's going to get probably pretty ugly, I would imagine, with that franchise and that fan base. But uh, with Donovan Mitchell, I just think he needs a fresh start. The team that he has around him is just, it, they're not going to win anything. They're the most consistent team in basketball, and they're going to have a second-round exit every year. This year, 
is an anomaly. They're actually going to have a first round exit because they got a horrible mismatch with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, this game, this series probably would have been over in five if Luka was playing from the very beginning. I truly believe that. But instead, it'll probably be over in six. So the Jazz are probably done. Uh, again, that last game, game six, is on Thursday. So we won't know until then. But this time next week, we'll be talking about the Jazz's, ne- I mean, uh, <laughs> the Mavericks' next matchup and the Jazz. What? is going to happen with them. Raptors-Sixers. The Raptors win a second straight game to avoid elimination. The Sixers were up 3-0 and is now 3-2. Toronto dominated. Uh, They outscored Philly by 11 in the second quarter, and that was pretty much the entire game. Uh, Sixers kind of came back a little bit in the third, but then the Raptors outscored them in the fourth, 28-22. They end up winning 103-88. Joel Embiid, I feel so bad for this dude. If he's healthy, if he's fully healthy, I think this series is probably over. This finger issue, this ligament tear that he has that is already out there that it's going to require surgery to fix, um, it's clearly hindering him offensively. Shooting the ball, getting to the basket, handling the ball, like it is clearly limiting what he can do offensively. 7 of 15, 0 of 4 from 3, just 20 points from Embiid. He did pick up five fouls during the course of this game, so he was in foul trouble. But regardless of all of that, James Harden is the story here. We could talk all we want about Embiid and how he's hurt and stuff like that. You need someone else to pick you up. Like This is the reason why you traded Ben Simmons for James Harden. Simmons was never going to play this year. And James Harden was supposed to be a guy that could be that second aggressive player with Embiid. And Embiid said last year with Ben Simmons, he wanted him to be aggressive. He was never aggressive. He got into that shell. He barely shot the ball in the fourth quarter. We all know how that went last year. With James Harden now, it seems like he doesn't want to shoot the ball. I don't know what happened to James Harden. 40 minutes he played, 4 of 11 shooting, 2 of 6 from 3, 7 assists, 15 points. I have no idea what happened to James Harden. This is a guy two years ago that was still putting up like 40-point triple doubles. And he got to the Nets. He was still still James Harden when he was with the Nets. And then he had that hamstring injury. He wasn't the same in the playoffs, obviously. They lose to the Bucs. And then... After that, it was just, he hasn't, he hasn't been the same. He wasn't, when he was with the Nets earlier this year, he wasn't the same. He gets traded to Philadelphia, and he's playing well, but he's, he's not the scorer that he was. He, he's passing the ball a lot, and that's kind of, that's what Philly needed, and, and, and it worked. But now, your best player, your star player, your franchise player, Joel Embiid, is hurt. His hand is very messed up, and he's obviously not 100% healthy. This is why you have James Harden. Like, he's, he's just, he, it doesn't feel like he has that scorer's mentality that he had when he was with Houston, and even when he was with the Nets. It just doesn't feel like that's who he is anymore. I, 11, t- he shot the ball 11 times. 11 times. 
Now, I, I think a huge problem with James Harden's game is that he was a guy who was a big free throw guy. Like, he would get to the line and have 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 free throw attempts a game on average. And that was because he manipulated the rule book. They had since, they have since changed that rule since he's been out of Houston. That rule, you can no longer do that like rip through, follow through foul, ticky tack foul to get to the free throw line. They don't do that anymore. Excellent rule change. But James Harden, six free throws. And Stan Van Gundy said live on television, like, so this is not a thing that, like, I thought it was just in my head. Live on television, Stan Van Gundy's like, James Harden is just not a great finisher around the rim anymore. I don't know what happened. Maybe he just really is out of shape. Uh, Maybe he's still dealing with some lingering injuries. I I just, I don't know, but he's just not even close. Like, he's taken a huge decline from the James Harden a couple years ago. Uh, it's, it's been a, a rapid decline. Um, and right now that's not what the, the Sixers need James Harden to go out there and shoot 20, 25 times a game and shoot 10, uh, three pointers a game. You can't be two or six from three, right? You're putting up Tobias Harris numbers and the Sixers don't need another Tobias Harris. They don't, they need James Harden, right? They need the pick and roll. Drive to the hoop, draw a foul, shoot free throw, step back three, James Harden. That's what they need. And right now, it's just, I don't know if it's a mental thing or he just simply is physically not capable of doing that anymore. But the Sixers need something better from James Harden. Otherwise, they are in a lot of trouble. Like, they, they, (laughs) Oh my God. If this goes to a game seven, they're going to lose. Like they need to win game six. Otherwise they're probably screwed because you just lost a home game to Toronto. Game six is in Toronto, which doesn't help things. Uh, But given Joel Embiid's current status, like the best thing that the Sixers could have done, man, is just they, the sweep, they should have swept them. Uh, and you really, 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 really needed that sweep because then you would have gotten a whole week off for Joel Embiid to rest and heal his finger a little bit without having to play any basketball. Now you're in danger of going to a Game 7. Like, a Game 7 is a real possibility because Game 6 is in Toronto. Going to be difficult to win there. Um, And I counted the Raptors out. I counted the Raptors out. Um, granted, that was before the Joel Embiid injury, uh, but this injury has clearly changed the tide of this series. The Sixers need to win Game Six because if they don't, I just I feel like at that point all the momentum is in Toronto's favor, even with Game Seven being in Philadelphia. All right, the big game from last night: Celtics Nets. Uh, Celtics complete the sweep. It is the first time that the uh, that Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving have been swept uh, in their entire careers. It's the first time that 
Kyrie Irving has lost in the first round of the playoffs in his career, even though he's played with a lot of spectacular players. Obviously, not a first-round exit kind of guy. Anyway, the problem with the Nets, I think, is clearly Kyrie Irving. Um, it, it's pretty obvious at this point. He was a huge distraction all year and then simply was not what they needed him to be in the playoffs. Now, part of this is because the Nets are a horrendously constructed team. Uh, they, they're just a team that they didn't, they weren't built for the playoffs. They, they just weren't. Durant gave it all he got in, uh, in game four. 13 of 31, nine assists, seven rebounds, 39 points. He was a, uh, a vintage Kevin Durant game. He did only shoot three of 11 from three, but besides that, like he put up big numbers. Um, that's what we expected from Kevin Durant. We, he, he hadn't been that all series. The Celtics, Jason Tatum, they did a tremendous job of just bringing a double pretty much every time Kevin Durant touched the ball. And with the Nets, because they're so poorly constructed, essentially what they had going was just Durant and Kyrie Irving taking turns, ISOing, trying to score the basketball. And it just didn't work. Uh, it changed a little bit here in game four, but, you know, too little too late. Seth Curry, who was an afterthought, uh, finally got going. He shot 9 of 13, 5 and 9 from 3, 23 points. Like, that's the reason why you got him. It just didn't work. Uh, again, too little too late. You were throwing Blake Griffin out there, who hadn't played since, you know, the beginning of April, um, like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was, and it, he was gassed in Game 3. He came out, gave it all he had, hit a couple three-pointers, crowd was going nuts, like definitely provided a spark for the Nets, but just it wasn't enough. I mean, the Celtics, top to bottom, offensively and defensively, were just a better constructed team than the Brooklyn Nets. And they were, it just, this was a team that was never going to be able to win a championship with how they were constructed. It just wasn't. Uh, and now that brings to question, what is the future of this team? Kyrie Irving has an opt-out after this year. I think it would be laughable if he, if he opts out and then requests the max to re-up in his contract like, and get more money, like that is, that, I think that would be crazy. If he opted out and then the Nets paid him more money, I think you rip up the contract and say, take a hike. Kick rocks, go find someone else to pay you that money. Because there's just no, I, I think it's very obvious that Kyrie and KD, it's just not, not going to work with them. It's just not. Um, I think Kevin Durant needs to play with different players. Now, it could be a hot take. It probably most certainly is a hot take. But Durant and Kyrie are two secondary stars role-playing to be primary stars, if that makes sense. Um, Kevin Durant, when he was at OKC, I think that actually was his best situation outside of Golden State. 
he has never been on a team as good as the team he had in OKC with Westbrook and the surrounding cast members. Like, that was a team that could win a championship. It was. They came close a bunch of times. Um, I, I think that was a team that, if they stuck together, could have won a championship at some point. Like, I think that was his highest possibility outside of Golden State. Then he goes to Golden State, and yes, he's like the best player on the team, but it also helps that you have three players that are also like stars. You have Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green all alongside you. It makes things a lot easier as Kevin Durant, right? He wins his two rings, and now what? He leaves, goes to Brooklyn because he has beef with Draymond. He wants his own team. He wants his own thing. And he gets Kyrie to come along, who also wants his own team and wants his own thing. Kyrie Irving, a guy who hasn't really done much in his career outside of playing with the best player, maybe of all time. In my opinion, LeBron James is the best player of all time. If not for LeBron, you haven't done anything. You're injury prone also. So what is, I think a lot of people finally are now kind of looking at Kyrie and saying like, what really is he? Like, yes, he's got the deepest bag in like the history of basketball. You can't dribble, dribble, hezzy your way to a championship. Clearly. Uh, and. Unless the Nets make some huge changes to their supporting cast, and unless Kyrie and Durant finally make a huge change, this team's not going to win anything. Kyrie refused to be second fiddle to LeBron after winning a championship and after a while. That's why he left, and that's why he got traded to Boston. Boston didn't work out. He didn't like the vibes or whatever the hell. Signs with Brooklyn, and he signs with his buddy, Kevin Durant, who also didn't want to be second fiddle to anyone anymore after using Golden State to win a championship that he could not win without having that incredible super team that was already assembled. That's not a jab at KD. He's a fantastic player. One of the greatest ever, uh, but it just it just happened. Could he couldn't get it done in OKC? He goes to Golden State, uses them for um, a championship, two championships. Then goes to Brooklyn, sits out the first year, loses to the Bucks his second year in seven games, and then gets swept his third year. Um, not great, right? Like if you were to categorize this right now. The Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and partly James Harden, which was an abysmal trade. This era for Brooklyn is a, is a total disaster. An absolute disaster. It's been a specifically this year has been a total circus with COVID and all that nonsense. Uh, it, it's just been a disaster through and through. The James Harden trade was a complete disaster. Now Ben Simmons is on your team, which gets me into a whole nother thing. Because Ben Simmons just simply does not want to play basketball. Point blank period. A lot of guys have been drilling Ben Simmons 
for him sitting out. And here's the thing. When there's reports coming out like, oh, he could be ready to go game three. If not, he's definitely going to play in game four. Then Steve Nash comes out and says, I have no idea if Ben Simmons is going to play. Like this diddle-daddling, complete silence from Ben Simmons on his part. He's not coming out and saying, I'm just not ready. Like it's all, he's doing none of the talking. It's all people on his behalf saying different things, conflicting reports. Like it's a complete joke at this point. I think Ben Simmons has probably lost all respect that he had in this league in terms of his playing capabilities. Like, I have no idea if the guy's actually hurt. Um, what, what is glaring to me is that the last time we saw Ben Simmons play basketball, he was perfectly healthy. So now he's out this entire year because of a quote-unquote back injury, but he didn't play with Philly. He's not playing with Brooklyn. I really would not care if Ben Simmons never played basketball again. I wouldn't care. I would actually laugh because it'd be hilarious. Um, he's lost millions of dollars this year. Like, it's a train wreck. It's a train wreck for him. He's embarrassing himself at this point. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He sat on the sideline, like, couldn't even give the Nets 10 minutes for a game. Right, 10 minutes, go out there and play. And if it really was like an actual injury and just say, listen, it's not for me, I can't do it right now, fine, at least you tried. But this whole people are tweeting out, oh, game three, he's gonna he might play, and then he didn't. Oh, game four, he's definitely gonna play, and then he doesn't play. The Nets get swept in between those games. Shams tweets out like Rich Paul and Ben Simmons are sitting down with Nets ownership to see how they can get through the physical and mental hurdles that poor Ben Simmons has to go through. It's pathetic. It's, it's flat out pathetic. Ben Simmons is a loser. I'm pretty much done with him. If he plays again, who gives a shit? If he never plays again, who cares? Again, who gives a shit? Like, it, it, it just doesn't matter. I think pretty much everyone, whether the injury is real or not, there's no confirmation. He hasn't said anything. He doesn't say anything. From his own mouth, there's been nothing. So, at this point, I think me, the fans, like he completely dis disregards the fans, which is like the fans are very important in the league and in, in the NBA. Like they are what drive your salary to be what it is. So, to completely disrespect them by like not even acknowledging what's happening. It's, it's disrespectful, man. It's just, I think everyone, fans, myself, people who cover the sport, uh, probably his teammates at this point, the entire Sixers organization obviously was fed up with him. I think everyone has just, they've had enough of Ben Simmons and this whole thing. Bottom line, the Brooklyn Nets, it's been a catastrophe. This entire, since Kyrie and Kevin Durant have signed with the Brooklyn Nets, they, it has been a, a disaster. The, the tenure as a whole has been a disaster. As for the Boston Celtics, the team that actually won this series, congratulations to them. A 4-0 sweep over the Brooklyn Nets. Very impressive. 
everyone was spectacular. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, even Al Horford had a great series. Uh, on all ends of the court, they played phenomenal defense. It's phenomenal individual and team defense. Uh, they played great offense. They had uh, fantastic ball movement. And also Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being able to just get wherever they wanted to on the court certainly helps things. Uh, this segment mostly like, yes, the Celtics, obviously a much better constructed team. Um, even Peyton, Peyton Pritchard had like a good game, right? One good game. It was like, he was getting minutes. Um, Robert Williams is back. He's getting limited minutes, but you assume that now that the uh, Celtics had a sweep, they will get an extended time off more so than usual. That'll allow, allow Robert Williams to heal up even more. And you could probably expect in round two for his minutes to increase significantly. Uh, probably even get his starting role back from Al Horford, who has been in his place since he's been injured. Um, we could probably see him starting next series. This comes as a public apology to Jason Tatum. I have been on Jason Tatum, and a lot of people will look at me and be like, you're an idiot for being on Jason Tatum and for criticizing him. And maybe so. But here's the thing. What I saw from Jason Tatum was he came in scorching hot as a rookie. And all I really saw from Jason Tatum was just stagnant. Stagnancy. Uh, his field goal percentage didn't really improve. Actually, he got worse. 48%, 45, 45, 46, 45. And his three-point percentage got worse. 43, 37, 40, 39, 35. And his usage rating just kept going up. And the stats kind of more or less stayed the same. The only thing that was really going up year in and year out from his rookie year to now is his points per game. 14, 15.7, 23, 26, 27. And nothing else really happened, right? His shots attempts went up, his points went up, but in terms of efficiency, he wasn't really doing much. And I was really starting to believe that Jason Tatum couldn't be a guy that was the best player on a championship team. Halfway through this season, since February, really, something happened with the Celtics. I don't know what it was, uh, but something happened with the Celtics where they, I, th I think maybe since February, you can argue they, were, they have been the best team in basketball. Uh, they have, it was like this weird switch, something connected, and everyone has just been playing out of their minds. They come in, they play great defense. Jason Tatum, I still think he might shoot a little bit. His shot selection might be a little bit too inconsistent for me, like a little questionable for me still, his shot selection, because he had a couple of shots in the Nets game where it was like, I don't know why you would shoot that. You should probably just pass it. But regardless of that, he has proven me wrong this year specifically. I, I, will, I will put my hand up and say I was wrong about Jason Tatum. Uh, I think he could be the best player on a championship team. Now, he's still, what, 24 years old, 25 years old? I think he's actually 24, so he's incredibly young. Uh, and Jalen Brown, also like 24, 25 years old. 
they have they could be together for a long time on this Celtics team. And the two of them, Jalen Brown, the reason why I was so critical of Jason Tatum is because I love Jalen Brown and I loved him coming into the league. And all I saw from Brown was just a a chart of it's just going straight up from bottom left corner to the top right corner, straight up in terms of how he improved year in and year out. Everything across the board for Jalen Brown increased, whereas Jason Tatum, he scored more, but it didn't really seem like he was improving in any other areas of the game. This year he had, he's become an exceptional defender. Uh, And now along with Jalen Brown, they are two of the best two-way forwards, guard-forward combination in the entire league. And Tatum proved in this series, like, he can guard Kevin Durant one-on-one. He can play great team defense. And then he can go out to the other side of the court and score on your best defender. Like, he, he's in that, in that zone right now, and I think he's now hitting his peak where it's like, for the next four or five years, he's going to be an MVP candidate as soon as next year. He'll, he'll be a guy who's going to be a top three MVP guy. And that's my, that's my bold prediction for, for Jason Tatum. So, credit to me. It takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. Uh, all credit to me, (laughs) Jason, I went from saying Jason Tatum can't be the best player on a championship team to Jason Tatum might win MVP next year. Like he, he is really built like that. And, and sure it took me till they swept the nets for, for nothing to realize that. And, you know, I, I've been right on some things, right? Devin Booker. Been on Devin Book and Trade since day one. You can ask my friends. Uh, they always thought he was empty stats kind of guy. Sons aren't good, yada, yada. I always knew he had it in him. That's my, do- that's my guy. That's my dog. But Jason Tatum I was more critical of. Hand up. I was wrong about him. Donovan Mitchell I'm not wrong about. I, I will go to my grave saying that Donovan Mitchell is overrated. I see guys get on TV talking about how he's a bona fide superstar and it blows my mind. Like, I just don't see it. And I'm sure he's a great guy. Actually, I know he's a great guy. He, he's like a, a good individual person. That's totally fine. Uh, I think I'm allowed to critique his basketball. I just, I think he needs to ha- be with a, a true superstar. Like, if, if, he, if he is in a role with a guy who is an excellent two-way player, I think that helps him tremendously. Right now, the the Jazz don't have any bona fide star two way player. They don't have it. Uh, they they even they have guys that are really good on defense and don't contribute much offensively, and guys that are really good on offense and don't contribute much on defense. If if Donovan Mitchell got thrown into a scenario with like, oh I don't know, like an R.J. Barrett. <laughs> uh, listen, if Donovan Mitchell ended up on the Knicks. I'm not going to be mad. He'll have my undying support. But right now with the Jazz, it's just like he's not in the situation best for his skill set. I think personally he's asked to do way too much for Utah. Entirely too much. And I think that hinders him. Because he's, he's forced to shoot that much. He's, he's like asked to shoot that much. To score the basketball as much as he can. I just think it's a lot. I think he needs like... He needs that help 
to get the best out of him. But right now, he's he stinks on Utah. He's he's not that good. He can be better. Again, he's also another guy. He's like 24 years old. He's very young. Uh, he I think he's only going to improve. But right now, like a lot of people out there have talked about how he's the guy, right? He he is the guy for Utah. He can be that guy. And I just don't think he is. And I just don't think he's capable of that right now. He needs to be put in a situation with a guy like a Paul George or like a, I mean, obviously everyone gets better with playing with LeBron. That's a stupid comparison. But like, like a Jason Tatum, like a Jalen Brown, right? Like they, they thrive off of each other. Um, and that's a very unique situation. Uh, but Donovan Mitchell, like Donovan Mitchell would be fantastic on the Sixers. I, I think he would be great on the Sixers because then you have Joel Embiid who can also score the basketball at a high rate and he plays all NBA first team level defense. So having that, then you have Tyreek Maxey who's also there. Yeah, good, other good defenders, Tobias Harris. Like Donovan Mitchell on the Sixers would be crazy. I think he would be unbelievable on that team. I think he would be great on Toronto. Toronto's got a bunch of two-way guys. Uh, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet is, for his size, a good defender. Pascal Siakam, uh, rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes. We didn't even talk about that. I think that's a fine pick. I, my pick was Evan Mobley. Um, I'm just glad that people didn't get blinded and pick Cade Cunningham for whatever reason. Jalen Green had an excellent end to his season, but just wasn't good enough. Scotty Barnes. The best rookie on the uh, the best team. It makes sense. Glad Scotty Barnes won it. I really like him a lot. But again, another great two-way player, Scotty Barnes. So the Raptors are loaded with those guys. If you add in a pure scorer like Donovan Mitchell into that team, that's another guy who thrives, right? He's not asked to be the, the sole offensive leader of that team. And he doesn't have to rely. He doesn't have to play that great defense. He's not a great defender. He doesn't have to play. He just has to play average defense with all those guys behind him. The team would pick up his slack in that case. So teams like that, like that is, I think, where Donovan Mitchell would be best. He's asked to do too much in Utah. All right, let's talk about the games tonight, Tuesday night. I'll just give my predictions. We'll see, you know, in hindsight, I guess we'll see if I was right or not. Uh, but my predictions, the first game, Hawks at Miami. This series is a wrap right here. Uh, Miami's up 3-1. They're in Miami for game five. Just nothing that I think Atlanta is able to do at this point. Uh, Trey Young has been bodied all series. He's been wildly inconsistent. Outside of the game three win, where I, I, I started laughing because the game, so game three was on ESPN and I started chuckling at the end of it because Trey Young hits this, this floater in the lane um, and it goes in and it, it puts the Hawks ahead and ends up being the, the game winning basket. And after that, the announcers are like, Ice Trey does it again. Like the Hawks are back in this series. And I just started, I started laughing because it was just, it's just not true at all. I mean, 
Trey Young outside of that fourth quarter of game three has been horrible. He, he's been deed up, bodied. None of his jump shots are going down. Uh, and he's not drawing as many fouls, obviously, because the Wefs kind of swallow their whistle a little bit more in the playoffs. So it's a bit more physical. And he just hasn't gotten there yet. Now, one of the games, I think it was in game four. I don't remember who was doing, who's the color analyst for this game. I want to say it was Reggie Miller. Uh, but they were talking about what Trey Young needs to do to, to ascend to that next level and, and push the Hawks further is to work off ball. So everyone loves comparing Trey Young to Steph Curry, uh, even though Steph Curry, they're not even close to the same player. Um, but that's what people like doing. And what's really positive about Steph that not many other superstars do is that Steph can play off ball. Uh, he can run the offense through him and be the point guard, or he can give it off to someone like Draymond Green and now this year Jordan Poole and let them bring the ball up, run through the offense. And if you watch a Warriors game, watch Steph Curry when he doesn't have the ball. The guy does not stop moving. He runs all around the court. You're getting picked like three or four times before he even touches the ball. So you're getting banged up as a defender while you're trying to keep up with this dude who seems to have unlimited energy. And then on top of that, even if you do manage to try and contest him, getting through all those picks, when he finally gets the ball, he can put the shot up in like 0.5 seconds and hit nothing but net. Like it's very, I imagine it's very, very frustrating as a defender to guard Stephen Curry. Trey Young has, doesn't have that yet. And they were saying on the broadcast that that's what he needs to do to ascend to that next level. And I agree and disagree. I agree because it would make him a much better basketball player if he was able to play off ball and just utilize, run around, uh, have the Hawks set. They have huge, they have John Collins and Clint Capella, like two huge guys that could set strong picks against any, pretty much any guard in the league. Have Trey Young run around, get him to get the ball and then shoot off ball. Um, that would be great for the Hawks. It would be great for Trey Young. It, it would just, that would be smart. The problem is that the Hawks don't have anyone that is like also an equally elite playmaker. Like the, the Warriors are perfectly constructed because Steph's an elite playmaker and the greatest shooter of all time. But also on top of that, now you have Draymond Green, who's also an elite playmaker. And now this year, you had another third person into the mix with Jordan Poole, who's also an, been an elite playmaker this year and equally good as a shooter as Steph Curry, as mind-boggling as that is to say. It's just a perfect, perfect scenario for Golden State. The Hawks aren't even close. They're not even a fraction of that right now. Uh, so you would need to somehow get like stupid lucky in the draft or go out and try and sign someone that is a bona fide playmaker and that could run the offense, score the basketball, and also flip-flop with Trey Young. They can run their own unit and then also can share the floor with Trey Young and Trey Young can share the floor with them. That's best case fit for, uh, scenario for Atlanta. But realistically, I just started laughing when they said that Atlanta was back in the series because it just wasn't even close to being true. Uh, this series was going five. Um, I know that a lot of analysts and a lot of people picked Atlanta to win game three because if they went down three, nothing, they were probably going to get swept. And 
they did win game three. You know, you have a player who is good as Trey Young. They're bound to get you one. The only time that didn't really work out was with the Nets. Uh, but you even saw it with the Nuggets and Warriors. Jokic got the Nuggets a win at home. Like, you're good for one. Miami's down Kyle Lowry, which is a huge blow. I think he has a hamstring injury similar to what Devin Booker is going through. So that sucks for them. Uh, but Jimmy Butler has been phenomenal. I mean, the Heat are, they, they, they give, they're giving off the, was it 2020? Yeah, right? They, they lost to the Lakers. So tw- they're giving 2020 bubble Heat vibes where they're like really rolling and, and vibing and everyone's contributing. They're playing fantastic defense. Like that's the vibes I'm getting from Miami right now. Uh, and they are the one seed. So obviously throughout the regular season, it was the same way. Jimmy Butler has been playing out of his mind, specifically offensively. Like the guy who never shoots three pointers hit like five point five three pointers one game. It's crazy. Uh, so I like Miami. Obviously, they're going to win the series, but I I do like them moving forward as well. Uh, Timberwolves Grizzlies. This series has all the makings of going seven games. Two young teams battling back and forth. Carl Anthony Towns. Finally showed up in game four to get the Timberwolves a win. Uh, He popped off and they barely won. 119-118. So every game has been, well, two games have been blowouts and two games have been closely contested. The first two games were blowout Timberwolves, blowout Grizzlies, and then close game Grizzlies, close game Timberwolves. It feels like it's going seven. It just feels like it's going seven. Um, I'm going to say, just based on the way it's going, I'm going to say that the Timberwolves win this. I mean, uh, no team has won. Oh, Grizzlies won back to back. So yeah, I'm going to say Timberwolves win this game. And then we go to a game seven in Minnesota where it could be a total toss up. I would like to see Minnesota upset the Grizzlies, personally. But uh, John Morant has been shut. Like, John Morant hasn't really been, the past few games at least, he hasn't really been John Morant. Um, at least not the John Morant that the Grizzlies need him to be. Desmond Bain has been unbelievable the past two games. Seven made three-pointers in back-to-back games. That's insanity. Um, but outside of game one, John Morant, he had like a solid game too, also 23 points. But uh, the past two games, he's been shut down. Has been shooting well. Uh, he has been the assist god, though. He had 15. He had eight assists, 10 assists, 10 assists, 15 assists. So he's been dishing it out because his teammates have been hot. You know, like the Grizzlies, they want him to get going. But at the same time, like he's passing it to guys that are shooting 40% from the field, from the three point line during the season, like Desmond Bain who's wide open, he's getting great looks, he's nailing everything. Like, why would you stop passing it to him? So I get where Jaw's coming from, but he has yet to go, like, crazy in uh, one of the past few games. So, could be due for an eruption. And then the last game tonight, Suns and Pelicans. The Suns are finally back home. The series is tied 2-2. The Suns still without Devin Booker, painfully. Um, 
I'm sticking. I'm sticking where my guns are at. My Phoenix Suns are going to win this game, and I think they're going to win this series in six games. That's my prediction. This series ends at the Smoothie King Arena on Thursday night. I'm not, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to buy. Brandon Ingram has been unbelievable. I don't know what Mikael Bridges is doing or if he is always having to guard him, if there's like switching, but I don't know. I haven't actually, for whatever reason, been paying attention to who exactly is guarding Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has 30 points in the past two games and uh, he's been going crazy. So I'm not, I'm not giving up on the Suns. I'm not turning my back on them now. I do love the Pelicans. Uh, cause Brandon Ingram, I love Brandon Ingram, but I, I, I'm not turning my back on Phoenix. They are winning the next two games in Phoenix and then on Thursday in New Orleans. And this series is going to wrap in six. And everyone's going to be like, wow, I can't believe we doubted Phoenix. Now, when you're listening to this, I may sound stupid and New Orleans may very well be, be up three, two. So I hope that's not the case. All right, we'll get into a little bit of the Mets and Yankees. The Mets, they're getting some Mets magic, man. It it just feels like a different Mets team. Last night against the Cardinals, about to lose the game, Nolan Arenado, of all people, makes a bad throw across the diamond, and the Mets end up surviving. They score like three runs in the inning, and they win the game. Like, this is, it just, it's a different vibe. It's a different vibe. Like, they're getting lucky breaks. They're capitalizing. They had a game against the Diamondbacks where I don't even think they recorded a hit. I think it was like a walk hit by pitch and then an error on the Diamondbacks. They scored like four runs. It was ridiculous. Uh, I did not watch those games, so I'm not 100% accurate. But I know that they've been getting some, like, unmet characteristically lucky breaks. You know? It just it's a different feel to this team. It's a it's a much different feel. Max Scherzer was phenomenal, of course, uh, like he always is because he's Max Scherzer. So the Mets are rolling. Uh, I believe they're still tied with the Dodgers for most wins in the league. And then, of course, my Yankees huge sweep of the Guardians this weekend kind of felt like they got a little bit back on track. They took two of three from Detroit and then they sweep the Guardians. So they have won five of their last six games. Very impressive, very happy with that. Um, The offense came alive on this past Sunday. They scored 10 runs, much needed. They hadn't scored over five runs the entire year. Um, I wrote all about this series on our website, animalhouseusa.com. You go check it out. And very impressed. Those Yankees fans who were throwing trash onto the field, though, on Saturday, you guys suck because you totally ruined Glaber Torres' walk-off moment, and the kid really needed it because he has been struggling, and I have been saying, demote him, demote him, demote him, and he comes through, and he says, John, shut the hell up. You don't know what you're talking about. Pinch hit, RBI double to win the game. Uh, fantastic stuff from Glaber. I'm really happy for him there. Isaiah Kainer-Falefa has been on fire. Judge homered. Uh, twice on Friday, Michael King struck out eight in three innings. It, it's been, it, it was, it was going good. And now this is, this is a Cleveland team that is not 
a pushover team. They had a uh, a very high offense coming into this series. I know obviously it's early in the season, but they were top five, if not top 10 in every statistical offensive category. So it's not a pushover team. And the starting pitching dominated. Uh, Garrett Cole finally had a dominant start along with the offense. Like it was just an all around dominant win for the Yankees on Sunday. So very happy. Uh, They go into Baltimore starting on Tuesday. They have a three-game set against Baltimore at home before going on the road to Kansas City and Toronto. You need to sweep Baltimore. You need to go on a huge win, potentially a nine-game win streak going into the beginning of May to Toronto because you swept the Guardians. You You should sweep the Orioles. You have to make a statement. You have to take advantage. You have to sweep the Orioles. And then also Kansas City. It's possible. It's very doable. But that's the baseball wrap-up. Thank you all very much for listening. I wish I had a movie review to do, but I haven't seen The Northman yet. That is on the agenda, is to see The Northman. I did see Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't know if I mentioned that. Loved it. Awesome, witty, it's funny, it's cute. Uh, Spoiler alert, the end credit scene is Shadow the Hedgehog. Very dope, very excited for a third movie. But I'll wrap it up here for this episode of From My Point of View. Hopefully, I have a movie review for you guys soon. I know it's kind of been a little iffy. Ever, really, ever since COVID happened, the movie reviews have been on and off. But I'll try to go see The Northman at some time this week. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a great weekend. And next time I talk to you, it'll be May. So happy May. I'll talk to you all next Wednesday. Gucci, Gucci, baby, come up out the ranks. Swag to the left, to the right.